Hello, my name is Francis Greenway and I'm joined today by Paula Hodges QC, Judith Gill QC and Dr. Jacqueline Van Herselt Van Hoff. This is the first of a series of episodes in which we're going to discuss the key changes to the LCIA rules, which come into force on the 1st of October 2020. Today, we will be focusing on the new regime for composite requests and responses and consolidation, the tribunal's procedural powers, as well as some of the other more significant administrative updates that have been made. Our three speakers are ideally placed to talk us through the new rules. Paula is the current president of the LCIA and heads the global arbitration practice at Herbert Smith Freehills. Judith is the immediate past president of the LCIA and an arbitrator member at 20 Essex and is also the intellectual progenitor of the new rules, while Jackie is the current LCIA director general. Perhaps we could start with Paula. Um, could you give us a brief overview of the new rules and what they are trying to achieve? Thank you, Francis. The 2020 rules are the result of hours of hard work by the LCIA, which has benefited from the input of a large number of practitioners, arbitrators, academics and users. The insight and practical experience of the arbitral community has been invaluable in refining the end product. My sincere thanks go out to everyone involved, not least to Judith, who set this project in motion, and the whole LCIA team who have implemented the project. The 2020 rules build on the fundamental principles and framework of the 2014 rules, with which many users will be familiar and which have operated successfully for a number of years. We haven't tried to reinvent the wheel. Instead, we have drawn on our own experience as an institution, along with the practical insights and input from the wider community to clarify a number of issues and to reflect the ever-evolving nature of international arbitral practice. And we've sought to do so with a light touch. One example is the emphasis we have put on technology and electronic communications in the 2020 rules. Email is the new normal these days, and the rules reflect that. Article 4 now provides that requests and responses should be submitted electronically, and that email is the default method of communication for LCIA arbitrations. Indeed, there is no longer any provision for communication by fax, I am pleased to say. We have also introduced amendments at Articles 14 and 19 to enable tribunals to make use of the latest technology, whatever that might be in these fast moving times. And now they can hold remote or virtual hearings and sign their awards electronically and in counterpart. Nevertheless, there is a residual power for the tribunal or the LCIA court to direct otherwise if there is a requirement to follow more traditional practices according to the party's agreement or the law of the seat, for example. These changes reflect trends and working practices that have become increasingly prevalent in our community in any event, particularly given the lockdown restrictions experienced on a global scale this year. Nevertheless, updating our rules now has enabled us to respond to the extraordinary times in which we currently find ourselves, which have accelerated many of those developing trends. 
The result, I think, is a set of new rules that will feel familiar, but that have been modernized and streamlined and that reflect the needs of users both now and in the future. Thanks very much for that overview, Paula. Judith, coming to you next, one area that has been addressed in the new rules relates to parties now being able to submit composite requests and responses. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, certainly. Uh, as you say, we've introduced new articles 1.2 and 3.2, which now permit parties to submit composite requests and responses. Uh, and what we mean by that is a claimant can now commence more than one arbitration using a single request document. So if, for example, a claimant wanted to commence more than one arbitration under the same arbitration agreement, or if they wanted to commence arbitrations under more than one arbitration agreement, they can now submit a composite request for multiple arbitrations in a single document under Article 1.2. Uh, it's important to remember, though, that a composite request commences separate arbitrations, so they are separate sets of proceedings, uh, and the requirements of Article 1.1 of the rules as to formalities uh, which are essentially the same as those under the 2014 rules, they still apply to each of the individual arbitrations being commenced in the composite request. So the claimant is still required also to pay a separate registration fee for each arbitration, even though they've been commenced using a, a composite request. And then Article 2.2 of the new rules, that allows a respondent to respond to a composite request with a composite response in much the same way. And I assume that this has all come about following the English court's decision in 2017 in the case of A against B. Yes, that's right. Um, in A and B, the English court uh, held that the 2014 LCIO rules did not permit a party to commence disputes under multiple contracts in a single request. Uh, instead, parties needed to issue multiple separate requests. So in Article 1.2 and 2.2 of the new rules, what we've sought to do is give users enhanced flexibility when it comes to them wanting to commence multiple proceedings uh, and making it clear that the LCIA is permitted to accept composite requests going forwards. It, it's really a largely a question of uh, administrative flexibility, um, but the important thing to remember also is that the changes do not act to consolidate multiple arbitrations uh, even if they've been um, included in a composite request whether or not multiple arbitrations um, that have been introduced in such a request or, or response whether they are then consolidated and resolved together that will be uh, a separate decision that will be made by the tribunal and or the LCIA court if an application is made. I see and, and on the topic of consolidation the 2020 rules also changed the range of circumstances in which consolidation can be ordered by a tribunal or by the LCIA court and um, could you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, yes, certainly. The, the, the new rules have broadened the circumstances in which consolidation may be possible. Uh, we've moved what used to be 
uh, Articles 22.19 and 22.110 in the 2014 rules. Uh, and we've put all of the consolidation uh, and concurrent hearing provisions together in a new umbrella, Article 22A. Uh, and that then deals specifically in Articles 22.7 and 22.8 with both consolidation uh, and with concurrent uh, conduct of arbitration. So under the 2014 rules, uh, unless consolidation was sought under the same arbitration agreement or under compatible agreements but with the same parties, then provision had to be included by the parties in their arbitration clause. Uh, and of course, uh, they may not have appreciated when they entered into the arbitration clause that that's what is what they would ultimately want, so it may not always be there. Uh, now, under the, the new rules, parties can apply to the tribunal for consolidation under Article 22.72, and this allows the tribunal, with the approval of the LCA court, consolidate arbitrations under compatible arbitration agreements, not just between the same disputing parties, as was the case before, but now also where the disputes arise out of the same transaction or series of related transactions, even if the parties aren't the same. And giving the parties that option to apply for consolidation, uh, where the arbitration agreements are, are compatible and where the disputes arise out of the same or related transactions, that opens up opportunities for consolidation by tribunals in a, a wider set of circumstances uh, than was available under the 2014 rules. Uh, we've also expanded the powers of the LCA court uh, with regard to consolidation. First, under Article 22.82, uh, the court can order consolidation prior to the appointment of the tribunal uh, in similar circumstances to those I've just discussed. So where the arbitrations involve the same transaction or related transaction uh, and compatible arbitration agreements. Secondly, the LCIA court can also now consolidate arbitrations where the parties agree in writing, uh, and that brings its powers into alignment with those of tribunals. So this gives the parties a, a consistent set of options for consolidation uh, from the outset of the proceedings. Uh, and then finally, uh, we've introduced uh, Article 22.73, uh, and this provides for a tribunal to conduct arbitrations concurrently, uh, but only where the same tribunal has been appointed in each arbitration. Uh, and we expect this to apply in sectors or industries where concurrent arbitrations are already uh, common practice. Uh, and although this is a rule change, it actually just reflects current LCIA practice. But overall, we expect the expanded wording and the enhanced flexibility that these changes provide to be useful, uh, particularly to users facing multi-contract and multi-party disputes, uh, and particularly when it's used in conjunction with or in parallel with the new provisions on, on composite requests that we've discussed. Well, thanks very much for that. Um, moving on to another area that has attracted attention from commentators, um, it's the new provisions of Articles 14 and 22 that relate to the Tribunal's procedural powers. In particular, interest uh, has been generated by the mention of the early determination mechanism, for example, in Article 22, 
Paula, coming back to you, could you perhaps talk us through those procedural changes? Of course, Francis. Well, what we've done with Article 14 is essentially to highlight the broad procedural powers that tribunals have to discharge their duties. And there are two main ways that we've sought to do that. First, we've made some structural changes to Article 14. So now the first subsection outlines the general duties of the tribunal to on the one hand act fairly and impartially, giving each party a reasonable opportunity of presenting its case and dealing with its opponent's case. And on the other hand, to adopt appropriate procedures to avoid unnecessary delay and expense and to provide fair, efficient and expeditious resolution of disputes. Article 14.2 then makes the overarching point that tribunals have the widest discretion to discharge those general duties. We had the same provisions in the 2014 rules, uh, Articles 14.4 and 5, but we've taken the opportunity to put these important provisions up front to emphasise the tribunal's duties and the breadth of the procedural discretion they can exercise to discharge those duties. Secondly, we've added at Article 14.6 a non-exhaustive list of procedural directions that a tribunal can make when discharging its duties. The list gives examples of how tribunals can exercise that wide discretion by shortening timescales, limiting evidence, restricting pleadings, adopting technology, allowing for a remote hearing, or even dispensing with the hearing altogether. We've also updated Article 15.7 to emphasise the breadth of tribunals' procedural discretion in relation to the party's written submissions and evidence. I'm not suggesting these procedural updates are revolutionary, but we do hope that they will give tribunals solid grounds and perhaps a reminder to consider procedural directions which increase the efficiency and expedition of proceedings where appropriate. In that respect, these updates go hand in hand with the move to embrace electronic communications and the use of technology that I mentioned earlier. So the overall objective is to streamline the process and enhance the experience of our users. I see. And on the topic of expedition, Article 22.18 of the 2020 rules now provides that tribunals will have the power to order an early determination and that seems like quite an important update. That's right. Article 22.18 allows the tribunal to determine that any claim, defence or counterclaim is manifestly outside the jurisdiction of the arbitral tribunal, is inadmissible or is manifestly without merit, where it's appropriate to issue an order or award to that effect. In terms of the applicable standard, we have not set out to reinvent the wheel. The phrases manifestly without merit and manifestly outside the jurisdiction of the tribunal are ones that will already be familiar to many users as they are echoed in analogous provisions of other leading institutional rules. And indeed, we made a conscious decision to reinforce consistency across jurisdictions and the arbitration community, rather than come up with different wording 
which would risk uncertainty as to whether we were seeking to impose a different standard. Again, the objective here is to enhance the procedural efficiency of LCIA arbitrations and to give tribunals more confidence to determine unmeritorious claims at an early stage, of course, where that is appropriate and regardless of the amount in dispute. Although not necessarily a revolutionary invention, I do think that this is an area that many of our users will be pleased to see addressed in express terms in the 2020 rules. Thank you very much for that. Um, Jackie, coming to you next, one update that users may want to know more about is the changes that have been made to the LCIA's schedule of costs, and in particular, the new maximum hourly rate for arbitrators. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. As you indicate, we have conducted a comprehensive review of the schedule of costs. And as part of that, we have increased the maximum hourly rate for arbitrators from 450 pounds per hour to 500 pounds per hour. And we've made the change in order better to accommodate the needs of users in particularly complex cases. I should stress that change does not apply to existing cases, only to cases commenced under the 2020 rules. It is also not intended to result in a 50 pounds increase in each and every case. Instead, the 500 pounds maximum uh, rate is a new maximum rate that will be applied in the most complex cases under the 2020 rules to reflect the very high levels of expertise that are needed to handle them. The LCA court will continue to look at the particular circumstances of each case in order to set an hourly rate that is commensurate with its particular circumstances. And I should add that we have taken the opportunity of the rules update to enhance the internal mechanisms for handling cases, including the financial administration, and that we will be launching a new electronic casework system in the coming months. Got it, thanks. Uh, looking beyond the schedule of costs, there are also some notable things that haven't changed. For example, the LCIA has decided to keep the annex to the rules, which was introduced in 2014, and which contains guidance on the conduct of arbitrators and party representatives. That's right, we've kept the LCIA's annex on conduct, which contains provisions that we think are important and effective and which in our experience have been well received by users and the wider arbitration community. I would point out one small change though in that context, which is the updated terminology that we've used regarding party representatives. So we've taken the update, um, the opportunity of the update to clarify the language and it is beyond doubt that party representatives are both legal and non-legal representatives and the annex applies to both. I see. Um, and finally, I'd like to touch briefly on the new provisions dealing with data protection and compliance. These appear to be quite innovative provisions, particularly given that no other major arbitral institution has introduced anything similar. Yes, we are the first institution to introduce provisions explicitly addressing those issues, as far as I am aware. And in particular, we have introduced new Article 24A addressing compliance and Article 30A addressing data protection. 
On the data protection side, the new rules make it clear that data protection legislation applies to any processing of personal data by the LCIA. And they also require the tribunal to consider data protection and information security issues at an early stage and to issue appropriate directions. That emphasis on data protection is also accompanied by an enhanced duty of confidentiality addressed in Articles 31 and 32, which has been expanded to bind all participants in the arbitral process. These new provisions, both on compliance and data protection, are an example of how the LCIA has looked to modernize its offering and to respond to important issues and concerns of users, while at the same time maintaining the stability of the tried and tested rules framework. Thanks very much indeed, Jackie. And thank you to all three speakers for your time and for a very interesting and useful discussion of the updates to the rules. For anyone listening to this podcast who is interested in finding out more and also exploring some of the other changes to the rules, please do visit our website at www.lcia.org to read more. We will also be publishing further episodes in this series, looking in more detail at particular topics that may be of interest, including the role of technology, tribunal secretaries, and data protection. Please do tune in, and thank you very much for joining us.